welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I've started a series on the Holy Spirit, and I just felt I needed to lay down some of the things God has been showing me over the years about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the importance of it, the, 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 the reason for it, that it's not simply a, a, a sort of an emotional thing or, a, or, a, or, or something that, you know, Pentecostals like, but really isn't for everybody, this kind of thing. So I'm on this study through on the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that had occurred to me is that I, I just, that John the Baptist spoke so strongly when he, when he introduced Jesus. Do you remember him introducing Jesus? That's what we're going to look at today. When he introduced Jesus, you recall the first thing he did when he, as, as Jesus was coming toward him, he pointed at him and he said what? Do you remember? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Man, what a statement. And then he said, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. A major thing he said about him. And, and, I, and I, I just felt like I got I to look at that. Well, as I got into it, um, I see some of the deep things that John said about Jesus. And, and I, I, those are foundational things. And I wanted us to hear that today. I think the Lord did. Holy Spirit, come and open our ears. We want to hear the word of God. Give us hearts that are tender and soft, Lord, for that which is true and from you, we obey it. I ask, Lord, that I would hear afresh. Come right now and open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to start uh, John 1. I'll start at verse 19. I'm going to read quickly down to verse 37. But I want you to hear this. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews, and when it says Jews there, it means the religious leaders in, in Jerusalem, sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. Well, they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? That's the the promise there at the end of Malachi, that Elijah the prophet will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord and bring revival so that God will not smite it with a plague. Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Meaning the prophet that Moses said would come, like him. And he said, answered, no. And they said then to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And then John quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So he says, don't call me any of those things. I'm just a voice in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, well, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Messiah, the Christ, or Elijah, or the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John's already met him. He's already met Jesus, 40 days earlier, actually. Uh, He's met him and baptized him. And so he says to them, he said, he's already here. The Messiah is already here. And I'm not worthy 
to be his slave. I'm not worthy to take his shoes off, which was the dirtiest job in, the, in, the, in that economy. Uh, and he says, I'm not even worthy to do that. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So that's the south end of the Jordan River, just a little bit north of the, of the Dead Sea. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you say that? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Would you say he existed before me? I did not recognize him, but so... But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. We say this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Then he said one more thing. He said, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Would you say this is the Son of God? There are those who try to solve the puzzle of doctrinal differences about Jesus by saying, can't we all agree to simply believe in Jesus and ignore those less important issues that divide us. And of course we can. As long as we're all talking about the same Jesus. But different people can believe very different things about him. What one person might mean when they say that name may not be what someone else means. If indeed we all meant the same thing. If we were all able to agree on the most essential truths about him then we could set aside our other differences and rest in the fact that we share a common faith. And thankfully, there are many different groups within the family of God with whom we do agree on those essential truths. One of the, one of the uh, mottos, actually, for our Foursquare movement is, is uh, what is it? In, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. Why don't you want to say that? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, in other words, let's stay loving, even when we do disagree, you know. Yeah. But the religious world at large is not that simple. There are countless teachers and traditions that have defined Jesus in ways that fit their own desires. It's actually overwhelming to think about how many voices there are in the world today proclaiming vastly different things about our Savior. A sincere seeker of truth can become badly confused if they enter this religious arena without knowing how to discern between what's true and what's false. One of the things that chills me is when somebody will come to the Lord, uh, Lord in our church and then they, after a while they come up to me and they say, Pastor, I've been on the internet and I've got these questions. And I think, oh boy, where are we going? Uh, and I have watched people come to the Lord in this church, receive the Lord, water baptized, the whole bit, get on the internet, and after a while, turn in their hearts uh, and hate us. Uh, because we aren't nearly you know, what, what's out there on the internet. And, and, and uh, 
even leave their spouse, uh, go off, you know, it just gets crazy. Look, I remember when I went into and became a youth minister way back, and I thought, okay, I'm working in the church. This has got to be a little bit like heaven. Um, well, what I found is the, the, the church, some parts are. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but the church can be, a, I mean, the whole religious world is, is a real dangerous place. Uh, there's just so many voices. And, and one of the tricks people will play is they'll, they'll say a word knowing what you mean by it. But they mean something else by that word. And they know they mean something else. But they know you don't know they know. Did you follow that? No. And so they'll, you'll say, well, you guys don't believe this truth, do you? And go, oh, yeah, we believe that. Well, the fact is they believe very differently than you do. But they, now, but they use the word. And so they've taken a word and almost, and you might say, gutted it and put something inside it that it didn't mean before. Socrates, one of the great uh, philosophers, said, always define your terms. You know, you and I can say the same word and mean very different things by it. We, and we often have to just start by going, what do you mean by that word? And what do I mean by that word? And once we get that clear, then we can really talk. But if all we're doing is saying words, we're usually not communicating at all. Because we have different meanings in those things. Yet there is a way to discover the truth about Jesus. It begins by accepting the Bible as the word of God. Then a person must read it carefully with humility and courage. And I say courage because you're going to read things that it's going to take courage to believe and proclaim. Uh, the Bible never fits the world. Uh, if you go with the Bible, I mean, we just handed a group of uh, wonderful young people a book that's going to get them in trouble. Do you follow that? This doesn't change and the culture keeps moving like a, like a, like a fast-moving river. So the culture's changing all the time, and this book doesn't. And so if I, I start living by this book, I will be out of step with my culture. You're already feeling it. You know that. It's just the nature of things. So it takes humility and courage, and if a person will do that, he or she will find the real Jesus. There in the pages of the Bible, the earnest seeker of truth will hear the voices of those God appointed to explain Jesus. And one of the most important voices of all was that, was that of a man named John the Baptist. So let's meet that man and listen to what he says. When he introduces Jesus, because he's going to present four essential truths that we must believe in order to believe in the real Jesus. John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist and why is he such an important voice in telling us about Jesus? The Apostle John was one of his disciples before becoming a disciple of Jesus. And here's what he said about him. Would you read this out loud with me? There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. In other words, God sent John the Baptist to Israel and into the pages of the Bible with a very special assignment. He was to be like a witness in a courtroom and testify to the truth about Jesus before the whole world. John is telling us that God uniquely prepared this man to introduce his son to those who want to know the truth about him. 
That means that of all the voices in the world, other than the voice of Jesus himself, to whom we ought to listen when he tells us who Jesus is, this is the one. He was a miracle. Apart from the supernatural power of God, he would never have been born. He was a child of a very old couple, couple who were not able to conceive until an angel appeared to his father while he was performing priestly service in the temple. Do you remember the story? Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, they are an, an, an elderly couple. He's a priest. They've not had children. And he draws a lot and he gets to go in and, and offer the incense on the uh, altar of, of, of prayer, the altar of incense in the, in the temple. You would have had right in front of the veil, you would have had a, a small uh, altar, a little square, rectangular uh, square, um, and then about uh, three feet high. And you, they, they would have hot coals on that, and you would put a handful of, of, of sweet incense on that, and this great cloud of smoke would go up when you do that. And then that represents the prayers going up, and then you would be praying. And everybody outside the temple knows that this is happening too. So people have gathered, and they're praying, and you're offering, as it were, the prayers before the Lord. So he's doing that. He's offering these prayers, and suddenly an angel appears on the right side of, the, we're told specifics, right on the right side of that, of that little altar, there stands an angel. And he says, Zacharias, your, your prayers have been heard. You're going you're gonna to conceive a child, you, know, you and your wife. And, uh, and he says, and you're going to name him John and, you're gonna, and he is going to introduce the Messiah. Isn't that great? And Zechariah says, I am really old. How am I going to know that's going to happen? Look, let me just tell you, when you're dealing with an angel, this happened to be Gabriel too. He, even says, he says, I'm Gabriel. Um, don't challenge him. <laughs> just, just don't. Uh, so he says, how, am I, how do I know this is true? I'm so old. And he says, oh, you want a sign, don't you? Let's give you one. You're not going to be able to speak uh, any more of this unbelief until that child's born. That's what he did. He just shut him up. Your wife's going to need more faith than you got uh, in this process. So he just, just shuts up poor old Zacharias. And he, and he, and he has to come out and s make sign language and write stuff, you know, and everything else. Uh, the whole deal. And indeed, uh, they conceived a child, and it was John. You need to know this, that, uh, John, that, that uh, uh, Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. Uh, I don't know if they're first cousins, but they're very close. And when Mary, the mother of the Lord, becomes pregnant out of wedlock in a, in a tough little town called Nazareth, she flees for the first trimester, or after the second trimester, I think. It's, uh, she flees and goes down to be with Elizabeth. Elizabeth becomes her shelter. Uh, so, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. You need, to, you need to know that. And he's a sign. So, he's a miracle. The angel told the old man that he and his wife would have a son and that the son would prepare people to receive the Messiah. He specifically said that. He would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah. He said that. And John's father prophesied when their son was born, saying, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins, their sins. And Luke adds this information about John. 
the child continued to grow and become strong in the spirit and lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Whenever we go to Israel, we always uh, go to a place called Qumran. Uh, and Qumran is, a, is, a, is right there on the, uh, just a, on the west side of the Dead Sea toward the north end, uh, between the, the foothills of the Judean wilderness and the Dead Sea. And it was a community of a group called Essenes. Essenes were, were, were righteous Jews who had abandoned the temple worship because the high priest was corrupt. And, and indeed he was. In fact, and that problem had started uh, generations before when the high priesthood was sold by the, by the, by the Greeks who conquered the area to the highest bidder. And so instead of having a, a, a descendant of Aaron and all, and all of these kinds of things, you have the highest bidder and the family getting the priesthood. So it was terribly corrupt and it got, it, it got really worse and worse. And so these people have abandoned the worship at the temple. And some of them have gone out to this wilderness area, and they are copying scriptures. You've heard what we found there. It's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, one of the, one of the great finds of the last couple hundred years. I mean, it's a huge find. Uh, and what they have, is you go back in those Dead Sea Scrolls, and you have scriptures that go back to, to before 200 BC. And, and so you're, you're able to compare the, the Hebrew text with, with the later text and to, to see the accuracy and all of those things. But they also have letters that they write and about their life together. And one of the interesting things, and I did not know this until the last two weeks, uh, one of the things they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls is a reference to a man named Johannes. John. And they said he was a very pious man, a very wonderful man, but he left us and went out. For years, people have thought maybe he was out there with the Qumran community. And I thought, well, maybe he was, but there's no evidence. I didn't know that statement was there. It very likely is. I mean, who knows? There can be more than one Johannes, but it might be him. And because it's right at that time. So what he did, it says he went out and lived in the deserts. As parents are old, um, they would have, have uh, passed away uh, while he's still a pretty young man, very likely. Um, he goes out to this group, and what do they do? Their whole thing was to live piously and, and, they, and to write scriptures and copy the scriptures. And they, every day, they would baptize themselves. Uh, this is where it comes from. It's called the mikvah. The ritual washing. And they would, I've told you about it. They, they would go down these steps, one side, the clean side. They'd immerse themselves uh, three times and then up they come, uh, they, the clean side. And then they are ritually washed uh, for, for their day and for their copying of scripture. Well, John takes that water baptism and he changes it. And he takes it on the road. See, they're monastic. They're monastic. Their ideas come out of the world. They're all corrupt. Let's live with God and be righteous and holy in this little community. And John, the Spirit of the Lord, won't let John do that. He says, these people are all dying. I can't let them all die while I sit in a, in a monastic community. So out he goes, and he starts preaching at all these Jews. And, he's, and his message is basically this. You guys are so sinful that if the Messiah comes back, and he's coming back really soon, if he comes back, he's going to just 
toast your giblets. He's going to, he's going to, yeah, he didn't say it quite like that, but that's the, the meaning of the Hebrew. Um, I, I'm kidding, in case you didn't know that. Um, He's, but he says he's going to, what he's going to do, he's going to take you like chaff. and a, He's going to take his pitchfork, and he's going to stick into that whole bunch of you, and he's throw you in the fire. And, he, and so he says, you've you got to repent. And here's what you've got to do. You get in this water, and you get baptized. And you, 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 come, you go into that water, and you, you ask God to wash away your sins, because you're sinners. You're not ready to meet him. Thousands of people. You've got to get a hold of this. John the Baptist is not a small-time operator. He's not, a, he's not a guy who had a few folks following him. Thousands came to him. In fact, colonies, communities, I should say, of, of his followers were all over the Mediterranean. You run into them in Ephesus, etc. He had a huge impact. But it didn't go over well with religious leaders in Jerusalem, I'll tell you that. Because he's basically saying they're all failing. They're not making you righteous. You go to the temple and you do all that stuff. And you, even the Pharisees, you do what all they're telling you to do. You're still so sinful. If the Messiah came, you would not go to heaven. He'll judge you. You repent. So he's, he's doing all that. And Jesus went out there. And not only did John testify about Jesus... But Jesus testified about John. Here's what he said about him. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's right out of Malachi 3. So John, uh, Jesus says of John the Baptist, he says he is the fulfillment of that third chapter of Malachi. And fourth. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone Greater than John the Baptist. What a statement. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it. John himself is Elijah who was to come. Jesus meant that John was the forerunner about whom the prophet Malachi had written. He was the messenger whom God had sent in the boldness and power of Elijah to prepare those who were willing to repent so that they would recognize the true Messiah when he came and would believe in him. And God's plan worked. Multitudes who had been following John left him and followed Jesus. And when that happened, John rejoiced. Remember this? He says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. So all of these multitudes that have been following him start following Jesus. And that's exactly what he, his job was to do. Prepare them for Jesus. John was such a powerful preacher and so anointed by God that before Jesus arrived, people naturally began to wonder if he were more than just a forerunner who had come to announce the Messiah. They asked if he were the Messiah himself. But he fervently denied it. He claimed that he was only a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? How did this special vessel prepared by God, this voice crying in the wilderness, introduce him? I believe it happened about 40 days after John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. That may have been the very moment when Jesus was returning from his temptation in the nearby Judean wilderness. Do you remember Jesus' baptism? I believe it was about 40 days before what I read to you just now. About 40 days earlier... Jesus had come down to be baptized. Isn't that interesting? 
He's not ministered at all. He's nothing but a carpenter's son, as it were, from Nazareth. Uh, he's down there uh, to, to be baptized by this John the Baptist. He comes and stands there before John the Baptist. Probably we're standing in the water. And he stands there and John knows him. It's my, is his cousin. And he looks at him and he says, why are you here? I know your life. You're, you're way more righteous than I. I mean, you, you're, you're amazing. And, and you should baptize me. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, I must do this to fulfill all righteousness. I think Jesus literally took water baptism at that moment and moved it from what John had turned it to, a washing of our way of our sins, and Jesus made it a grave. And Jesus basically saying, John, if I put my foot on the path the Father has for me, it'll end at the cross. I know that. Bury me, John. And so John was not washing his sins away. He had none. He was burying the Lord. And when, the, when Jesus came up after making that pledge, after that deep, profound decision of obedience, what happened? It says the heavens opened, so something ha- So literally you begin to see this heavenly uh, thing where you see the light and presence of God open up above them. And then what happened? The Spirit of the Lord came down, and, and not in a vision, physically, John saw it with his physical eyes. The Spirit of the Lord comes down in some way like a dove. And it rested upon him. And then a voice was heard. What did the voice say? Behold my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So John knows. The Lord had told John, as you're baptizing, you will encounter the Messiah. I am going to send him to you. The world doesn't know who he is yet. Remember, he said that he may be manifested to Israel. He said, I went baptizing. And so he said, when the Messiah comes to you, you will know it by this sign. You'll see the Spirit of the Lord come and remain on him. The power will come. You'll see it. And it will remain. And that's the Messiah. When John looked up and saw Jesus coming toward him, and this is the first thing he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To John himself and to those standing around him who heard this statement, the term lamb, particularly one that takes away the sin of the world, could have meant nothing else than a lamb used for sacrifice. In other words, he pointed to Jesus and prophesied that the moral guilt of the entire human race would be transferred to him And like the lamb eaten in the Passover meal or one of the lambs sacrificed in the temple, by dying as our substitute, Jesus would rescue those who believed in him from God's judgment. First thing he said, behold the Lamb of God. Then after that announcement, John made another startling statement. He said, this is he concerning whom I said, this is the one who comes after me, who's greater than me, for he existed before me. Basically, he pointed to Jesus and said, this man pre-existed his human birth. Who's, who's older, John the Baptist or Jesus? By how much? Because we actually know. Six months. You remember, if, if you're reading there in the Gospel of Luke, it says, and in the sixth month, an angel of the Lord was sent to, Mar- to, to, to Mary to, to make this announcement. What sixth month? Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. 
two verses earlier, it says she's five months pregnant. And then it says in the sixth month, this happened. So John, Jesus' cousin, is six months older. And he points at him and says, he's older than me. Okay, that's really strange. And what, and what, that's, that, that's what the apostle John understood him to say when he heard him speak those words. Which is why the apostle quoted that statement in the introduction to his gospel. In that introduction, he explains that Jesus is God's divine son who existed in heaven before he became a man. And one of the proofs he uses in support of that fact is the statement John the Baptist made on that day when he introduced him. When he saw Jesus walking toward him, John the Baptist explained to those around him that God had told him that the Messiah would come to him to be baptized. And that he would recognize him because God would confirm that this person was the Messiah by a very specific sign. And during Jesus' baptism, 40 days later, John saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven and remain on Jesus. And that was not a vision that he saw only with his spiritual eyes. He actually observed the coming of the Spirit with his physical eyes. Luke says in bodily form. He saw the Holy Spirit in bodily form come down. So there would be no doubt in his mind. Apparently, when that happened, the Holy Spirit took on the form of a dove and came down from heaven and settled on Jesus like a dove alighting on him. And John went on to explain that God had told him that the person upon whom he saw the Spirit rest would perform a ministry similar to his own. He too would baptize people, but instead of immersing them in water, he would immerse them in the Holy Spirit. Later on, when John was again speaking about Jesus, he would say this about him. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Would you say he gives the Spirit without measure? I just want to stop for one second on that, on that truth. What he's telling you is, is when, when Jesus gives you and me the Holy Spirit, we get the whole Holy Spirit. One person doesn't get a quart and another one gets a gallon. He's not a substance. He's a person. You say, well, some people seem to have more of him than others. No. Some, he has more of some people than he has of others. Did you follow where I'm going with this? I have a friend, a pastor, and, and I'm, he's, this is one of those great illustrations I heard him, heard him use. And he says, you know, if, well, I, love, I love Coke. And he says, uh, he, he said that, I don't. Um, he said, I love Coke. And he says, when I go to the ballpark, he said, uh, I always ask that they give, give me that cup without ice. You know, he says, because you know what they do? They, they, he says, they fill that thing all the way full with ice, and then they put the Coke in it, and you only get about a half a cup of Coke. So he said, what I, what I do is I say, would, would you, no ice, please. And he says, that way I get a full cup of Coke. He says, the Lord told me this. He said, if you want more of me, you need to get the ice out of the cup. <laughs> Does that work? He's, in other words, if I want, it isn't like I'm given more of the Holy Spirit. It's that I get the ice, I get the stuff, the, the things that are blocking, that are clogging my life, the things that are, are, get, are pushing the presence of God. I get that out and then I get more of him. I get more of him. Actually, he gets more of me. I love the statement. He gives the Spirit without measure. 
Say that. He gives the Spirit. You'll never need more of God than you've been given. If you're in Christ, you've been given the whole package. The question now is us giving more of ourselves to him. This was, there was one more statement that John made that day when he was introducing Jesus that we, should, we need to hear. He said, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The term Son of God was used at that time as one of the titles for the Messiah. You'll see it there in Psalm 2. You'll see Caiaphas use it in Matthew 26. But only 40 days earlier, John had audibly heard the voice of the Father speak from heaven and say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in light of his earlier statement that Jesus, who was six months younger than John, existed before him, John must be pointing to the fact that Jesus was more than a human whom God adopted into the role of being like a son to him. Jesus was the begotten son who carefully, or pardon me, fully shared God's divine nature. John will actually write this. He'll say, no man, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, mono, the Greek is monogenes, only begotten, theos, only begotten God, he hath explained him to us. Uh, say only begotten God. That's an amazing statement. That Apostle John is telling you and me. He's saying, this is not, this is not, a, not just another, another man. This is not someone who's adopted into a role of, of, of sonship with God. This is someone who shares his nature. Look, you can make things, but you beget your own kind. A, a cat begets kittens. A dog begets puppies. We beget humans have you noticed your children are as human as you are? Arguably sometimes more so, you know what I mean? The, you don't beget something of, of a different nature. You beget yours. You're as human as your parents. Your children are as human as you. And when it says God begot a son, it means he begot his own nature. He begot a divine son. So let's rehearse in our minds what we heard John say about Jesus. He said he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He said he is the pre-existent one who came to us from eternity. And he said he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And he said he is the begotten Son of God. Believing John. These, those four truths are absolutely foundational. And as you would expect, every one of them has been the subject of much debate. And that has left them in a cloud of confusion in the minds of many. And people often respond by withdrawing. See, that's the problem, is what all the devil has to do to take something away from us is make it controversial. He doesn't have to prove to you it's wrong. He just has to start a fight. And what most of us do is back away. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. If this is a fight, well, pastors do this. If things become controversial, I just won't talk about it. I'll go find another subject. And so you will notice that on every single one of those essential points, they are controversial. All he has to do is drop that in, begin to get the fights and the confusion, and we just back away from Something that is absolutely essential. That we need to not only believe, we need to proclaim. 
We need to be strong in. And, and, and the devil's had his way, and this is how he's done it. But that must not happen with these four truths. If God prepared a man to introduce Jesus to us, and this is what he said about him, we must not ignore his words. In fact, the truths he presents to us are the ones we must proclaim above all others. When we tell people about Jesus, we must, number one, tell them that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, their sins by his death on the cross. To ignore that truth or replace it with other teachings is to deny people salvation. Right now, there's a, people, people will call it sometimes slaughterhouse religion and all that blood stuff and all that death. I, I have... I have dealt with, with pastors who, who say, I think that this whole thing of him dying on the cross is one motif, uh, one, one, one uh, narrative uh, that we can talk about. But there are other perfectly valid narratives, and, and this isn't... And, and uh, he's going, but the cross, you know? What about... Well, now, you know, it's just one narrative. Just one narrative. No, it's not, people. It's an historical reality. God's son became a man, took on human sin, and died the death that you and I should die. And if he did not, there's no narrative or motif in the world that will save us. It's not some attitude. It's a historical fact that justice was served. Justice was served. God doesn't just forget sin. He forgives it. He atones it. He himself bore the price of it. Do you see this? This is really important, but that's controversial. Number two, we must tell people that he is the preexistent one who came to us from eternity. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a great teacher. He was not a martyr or a tragic victim. He chose to leave the glories of heaven and become a man. He chose to go to the cross because he was, only, he was the only perfect, the only possible payment for the sins of the world. If we deny his pre-existence, we deny the plan of God that made a way to rescue all of us. This truth has come under enormous assault in this area of, of uh, Washington. Uh, historically, there have been churches and large voices who have taught that Jesus was not pre-existent. He was a, a, a man upon whom the Spirit of God came. Uh, he was a very good man, even a perfect man, uh, but... But the Spirit of God came on Jesus and, and, and worked through this man. And then when he died on the cross and said, why have you forsaken me? The Spirit left. And it came back on him at the resurrection. And here's the fun part. And in eternity it will leave him again. So that when you get to heaven someday, there will be Jesus of Nazareth. And you can go up and poke him in the arm and say, hey, bro. Thank you so much for all you did. It was a great job. But you won't worship him. You won't worship him. He's just a man. There's whole groups. And there are pastors today in our area who believe that. That hasn't gone away. That's there. And I'm just showing you. The, John the Baptist who introduces him says, oh, yes, he is. He came from heaven. Number three, we must tell others that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. This is not a truth that belongs to one group of Christians and not another. It's not an optional benefit for those who are highly emotional. Like me. 
When John introduced Jesus as the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, he was not announcing something new. He was repeating a promise that had been made many times in the Bible. Over the centuries, the prophets had declared that the Messiah would do many wonderful things, including delivering God's people from oppression, gathering those who were scattered back into the land of Israel, turning their hearts to God and governing them with righteousness. But one of the greatest promises of all was that he would bring the era of the Spirit. God's presence would come to dwell within his people and surround his people. They would literally be immersed, baptized in the glory of God. You have to get a hold of that. That is not a Pentecostal thing. That is not for certain people or people who like that kind of thing or who are highly emotional. In fact, emotion gets in the way. It's not emotional. Jesus came to bring the Spirit back to us. So that we who've been separated from him and walking, as it were, naked without the presence power of God would be clothed again with his power. That he would come and guide us and counsel us and correct us. That's the whole new covenant. It's based on this. Take that out of it and you really don't have a basis for the new covenant. Why does he take the law off us? Because he writes it on our heart. He comes now and dwells within us and counsels us. He's within us. That's everything. This baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we, well, not everything, but it's, it's the other half of it. We must tell people that Jesus is the begotten Son of God. He is someone we worship. He is someone we obey. He is the one into whose hands the Father has given all things. When Jesus speaks, his words aren't like the words we hear from other men. Because he is the Son of God and came from heaven. When he tells us about God, he's not telling us what he thinks might be true. He's telling us of things he has seen and heard. And everything I just said, John said response there are many voices saying many different things about Jesus but we must not allow that confusion to cause us to break away from these four essential truths John the Baptist taught us so we John the Baptist taught us we must believe them study them and learn to live in the power of them and we must proclaim them to others so let's practice number one Let's say this together. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Number two, Jesus is the preexistent one who came from heaven, became a man, returned to heaven, and he will come again. Number three, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's made it possible for the Holy Spirit to come and live inside us. Number four, Jesus is the Son of God. So we gladly worship him, obey him, and love him, even as we worship, obey, and love our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be God. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for sending John the Baptist, for preparing a man to tell us about your beloved son, Jesus, to tell us the truth and prepare our hearts for him. So that we might receive the real Jesus. And Lord this day. Even as we listen to John the Baptist again. We say to you. We believe in you Jesus. We say to you. You are the Lamb of God. It takes away the sin of the world. It takes away our sin. And we are so grateful for you. We put our eternity in your hands. 
Because of you and your cross, we are forgiven and washed and clean and beloved. With all our hearts, we thank you. You are the pre-existent one, Lord. You left the glories of heaven. You laid aside your privileges and you became a man and, and took on the, the form of a man and, then the, and bore the cross. What a humbling, what an amazing gift to us. The prince of heaven would come to us and join us to be a man forever so that you could save us. Lord, we honor you and we love you and we worship you. Lord Jesus, you are the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And every one of us says, come Holy Spirit. Come in your power. Come in your presence. Fill us to overflowing. Re move in us by the gifts of the Spirit. We give you our lives. May we, may we learn to walk more deeply and be more full of your presence. We are so grateful for your gift of the Spirit. And Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God. You are begotten of God. You are of his nature. We worship you and honor you. Father, you have lifted him up and said that every knee is to bow and every tongue is to confess your beloved son's name. And we do it this day gladly and freely. He is our risen Lord. And we honor him. And in doing that, we honor you, Father, for your great love for us. We are your sons and your daughters because of him. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. If you agree with that, would you say amen? amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.